Welcome to the Liberty Moms podcast. Chris Kimball hosting today. Liberty Moms are the real secretaries of defense when it comes to their children, their communities, and their um, families. And today, I'm excited to have a special guest that is running for a Senate seat here in Utah. But I wanted to remind our listeners that Liberty Moms are part of the Loving Liberty Network, and we are proud to be part of that network because it's where you're going to hear uh, information and news that isn't always covered in the mainstream media. And uh, we also have an opportunity to give a platform and a voice to those who are running for office that perhaps the mainstream media would not want to have you become aware of. And so today I have invited Trent Staggs to be my guest. He is the current mayor of Riverton, and he has decided to run for the U.S. Senate here in Utah, which is currently um, held by uh, Mitt Romney and our junior senator. And uh, I'm more than happy to know that he is in the race because I have never been happy that Mitt was elected as our state senator. I, as a state delegate, worked very hard trying to convince people not to vote for Mitt, but there was a lot of uh, shine and shiny objects attached to him with the uh, the the Olympics in, in 2002, that it, it kind of gave him this coat of shining armor that he saved the day, and that's for another discussion, but uh, we've had a few years of Mitt Romney as our senator, and I think a lot of people now have really seen who he is. And so Trent, I'm so thrilled that you would jump in the race. That's not an easy decision. And I'd love to have our listeners learn why you decided to do that. Well, thanks so much, Chris. This is great to be on your show. You're absolutely right. Moms, the Liberty Moms, they are on that front line of defense and defending Liberty. Um, I've experienced that too as a mayor and working with so many great moms and parents uh, with respect to schools and uh, and things in schools but I, I i really i'm with you i've been so disillusioned with mitt romney with his quote-unquote representation of utahns he came out five years ago and he indicated look if you elect me as your senator i'm going to fight for you every day i'm going to fight for uh getting, getting us on a pathway to a balanced budget I'm going to end illegal immigration. I'm going to stop federal overreach and spending. I'm going to put conservative justices on the court. He had that in a 30-second spot. Uh, he hasn't done that. you know. And he's, I think, actively worked against those things, voting for trillions more in spending, causing inflation, uh, no pathway to a balanced budget, doesn't support Mike Lee on his letter just the other month to President Biden, demanding budget reform and spending cuts to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, one of just a few Republicans that wouldn't even sign that, and uh, supported Secretary Mayorkas, uh, done nothing to help end illegal immigration at all, wouldn't support Trump and his border wall uh, and other initiatives. So, uh, And then, of course, with the Supreme Court 
he ends up being one of just a couple of Republicans that supports this radical Supreme Court judge, Katanja Brown Jackson. So he doesn't represent Utah values. He doesn't represent me. Um, and uh, that is something that my wife and I had discussed. Um, we've got a great record. And, you know, being a lifelong Utah, not like Mitt, we're just moving from out of state to, to be here. From elementary school to graduate school, I've attended Utah schools. I've raised my family here. I've operated businesses here. I just helped take a company public last year, listed on NASDAQ, and been you know, really representing my community for the last 10 years in Riverton and have a strong track record as a conservative fighting back on government overreach. And that's what's needed more than ever. We need a fighter, somebody who's going to stand up for conservative principles and uh, push back on the establishment, on federal overreach. My top three initiatives at TrentStacks.com, smaller government, safer families, and a stronger economy. That's what Utahns want. That's what I'm hearing. And that's why we're entering the race because there's no no conservative and, and nobody that's stood up yet to do it. And it is it is a daunting task. I get that. But, you know, we've already received all kinds of endorsements and support from organizations, um, fraternal order of police, several uh, large groups, mayors, county commissioners, and, um, you know, donations are pouring in from more than 42, 43 states. It's not just Utahns that want to see this uh, seat taken back by a conservative and get Mitt out, uh, but many across the country. You talk about those endorsements, and I think it's important because a lot of times when you normally would look at the Senate race, it's a federal election that is at a place where the federal government is designed to protect our country from, you know, protect our borders, enforce our border protection, you know, establish trade. But it's all of the big, um, the umbrella sort of uh, functions so that our states can have commerce, they can interact together, but it usually doesn't get into the neighborhood. It usually doesn't get into the, right into your local communities, but we've seen such an overreach that it's interesting how you've got the support of local community groups like mayors, councilmen, the police, you can't get any more local than that to your family. They're the ones that are going, help us. We will support you if you will help us get out of this mess that we're in. That's that's exactly right. Um, you know, that is the, what our founders envisioned is this decentralization of power and that we have uh, really the localities is where in the, in the self, first of all, yourself, you know, government, self-government really um, is at the core and then your localities, the states, and then the federal government has few and defined roles, Article 1, Section 8, largely of our Constitution. So those are the things that the federal government is supposed to uh, be, be concerned about and perform. But the federal government, as we know, over the last you know century has just far um, out, outpaced, uh, you know, the, and gone outside the boundaries that had been initially been set uh, by the Constitution, and they're involved in so much these days, it impacts mayors. I see that mayors are on the front line of government overreach. I get it from federal, from state, from county, uh, all the way down. And and people look, for example, they say, well, look, federal funds, you know, we, we pay gas tax, and it goes to D.C. and comes back 
Uh, we're lucky to get pennies on the dollar when it when it funnels through Washington D.C. Um, our roadway networks. My public works directors say, "Look, we don't even want to." We don't even want to work with federal funds because we're lucky. We're lucky to get 60 cents on the dollar after we have to deal with everything they throw at us. I had to hire three more people in my city just in the last year to meet EPA uh, guidelines, stormwater requirements. These are all federal requirements, uh, unfunded mandates that are constantly thrown at us from the federal government. Also, the state has had many issues as well uh, with respect to imposition of land use authority and other requirements. And so as I'm out talking to mayors, they love the fact they say, you get it, you get it. You know, Riverton City is about 50,000 residents in our great state of three ish, you know, 3.2 million people. We're the 18th most populous city in the state. And so I get it from small communities up to larger cities of 200,000. I understand what, you're, what they're going through and how the importance of self-governance and local control, self-determination, those principles really ring home, ring true to me. And that's exactly what I'm going to take uh, to Washington. I've got that perspective and people understand that and appreciate it and know I'm going to fight uh, to keep Washington in check and let the the major decisions be made by the self, uh, by the individual and by, by local local governments. What makes you unique, Trent, is again, as a mayor, Again, it's a it's a position where you wouldn't think, Mayor, is that really um, qualified to be a senator, so to speak? But you have been in a in a situation where you have stood up for our unalienable rights. You've stood up for the people and the the rights that God has given to us, and pushed back on an overreaching government. So, what my point is is that you already have a record of standing up, of pushing back, of standing for liberty and making um, decisions that aren't um, very popular um, with people that are in government that are working with you. You know, you're actually saying, no, we're not going to do this. You did that during COVID. Um, Another thing I wanted to bring up that you mentioned the other day when you were at a um, town, a little town hall up in holiday that we were at, is you talked about how you restored prayer in your city council meetings. So talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, no, love to. That's, um, it's very, very important to me. Uh, I, uh, to talk about, first of all, the things that I've demonstrated, pushed back on and backbone, you know, for 10 years, that's what we've, uh, I've demonstrated. I said no to the lockdowns and COVID and uh, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, um, many things that were trying to come down from the federal government, state government on us. I just said, no, we're not going to do it. Um, and uh, demonstrated again that you, you know what you're going to get with me. Um, I fought hard for against inappropriate materials in schools. Uh, very recently, we've done that. Uh, our city council has passed resolutions supporting life. Uh, we've also uh, passed resolutions against ESG measures and uh, other woke ideology. We're just not going to do that in our community. Uh, I don't believe it has any place in government. Um, you know, if you go to trendstacks.com, you'll see my three main themes again, and uh, smaller government, safer families, and stronger economy. And one of the things I talk about is building a wall of separation between woke and state that has no business in government. Um, but I, I do believe that morality and religion is George Wall. Washington said, those are two indispensable pillars 
uh, with respect to having political prosperity. We absolutely need them. There was never intended in our founding that we would separate religion from the public square. I think it's highly important. And for that reason, uh, we have reinstituted invocations at the outset of all of our city council meetings. Um, they used to be a part of it. And we had folks that took it out. I said, we're going to put it back in. We need to be able to have this, to call upon our creator at the outset of each council meeting. That's what our founders did at the commencement of the um, of the convention, uh, the constitutional convention. And we, we just need to recognize that and call upon that. I think it's it's proper and fitting that we do it. We look at our founding documents that 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 was the revolutionary idea that is the United States, that our rights come from our creator. They do not come from government. They're not given to us by the generosity of the state. Um, and that's that's what makes us distinct and different. We have those inalienable rights that do come from our creator, life, liberty and property. Um, and we need to be able to recognize that. And that's it's just fundamental in, in our in our principles as a country, in our founding as a country. Um, to be able to recognize that. You know, that is, it is fundamental. I agree with you. And I hope that your example, knowing that you were able to make that change in Riverton, I want our listeners to realize that in most every single city council meeting, they don't pray. Now they pray at the legislature. In the legislative body, they open every single day with a prayer. And it's uh, diverse as far as who is who is brought in to give that prayer, but they begin every day with a prayer, and it's something that we need to have. We need to invite God back into our communities, and the city council and that um, meeting that's held every week is an excellent place for us to bring him back, because when we push God out of our communities, we saw what happened in the schools. God was banned back in 1963 when the Supreme Court ruled against prayer. And honestly, I am old enough to remember praying in school <laughs> as a really little girl, but they did have prayer in the classroom, but the Supreme Court ruled that that was not appropriate. And that has caused a vacuum that unfortunately has been filled with a very negative void that we're seeing now in our schools every single day. Yeah, that's right. It's not spot on. And it isn't that there is no that there's an absence of religion when they when they did that. And it's a horrible decision to remove school or prayer from schools, uh, because now it's it's another religion. It's it's this wokeism or secularism that's just taken its place. And so there always is an ideology, right, or a religious um, uh, persuasion that's that's being taught, uh, whether you're 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 praying or whether you've got this new this new wokeism that's infiltrated unfortunately so much and it's impacted our society i and i've told people the reason the founders knew that prayer was so important and fundamental is because that morality needs to be there it, it many of our founders said that uh, that our form of government this self-government this republican form of government that's guaranteed in our constitution uh, it can only survive with a moral people uh if if we're not we need tyrants we need dictators that's that's the course of history unfortunately and so we need that preservative we need uh, that and that's exactly what prayer religion does is help it's that preservative and and will keep us there and what greater role than government 
Um, should we, you know, what what other area than government uh, is it more important to have a moral people? Right. That the basis of of government of laws is if you if you violate this law, we are going to penalize you or take a portion of your uh, your your life, liberty, or property. And so, I don't think there's an area where the morality question is is greater than in the framing of our laws, and and you need moral people that will uh, represent that will represent us in in the creation of those laws and administration thereof. Well, I want to get back to Mitt Romney for just a minute because you have everyone that's listening. Be sure to go to Trent's website, uh, TrentStags.com, and you have the video. You have your little campaign video there, right? I do. Yes. Yeah. We have. We had a ninety-second spot. We did, and um, you know, this was this was something that was a big reason why I'm running. Uh, if you'd asked my wife and I just even five months ago or so, this this wasn't really on the radar. And I didn't see any conservative entering the race willing to take on Mitt Romney and his record. And I just went back and said, I recall this video. I, he only did a few spots. You know, he came in late in the game and I think February of 18 and, um, you know, Orrin Hatch at the time was really excited, got behind, and they wanted to have almost a coronation, it felt like, if you will. And, and so there were only a couple of commercial spots that Mitt did, and one of them was entitled Fight For. And so we called out in our launch video, say, hey, look, a few years ago, Mitt Romney moves to Utah, decides to run for Senate. These are the things he promised he would do. Um, and we talked about those earlier. He'd fight for us every day, put us on a pathway to balanced budget, end illegal immigration, stop federal overreach and spending, and appoint conservative justices. Um, those are promises that he made, promises that have not been kept. You know, five years later, we see he's done just the opposite. I say the only thing I've seen him fight for that I've really seen passion, uh, him get passionate about is fighting President Trump. I mean, he just... Yes. He has this vendetta and these personal beefs, right, with uh, particularly with Trump. I mean, he goes out, begs for his endorsement back in 2018, gets it. The moment he gets it, he turns around and just completely stabs him in the back. Um, he encouraged a lot of people forget he encouraged then uh, Joe Biden to run for president back in 2019. There's several there's, you know, CNN hosts talking about it. There's articles about it. Joe Biden supporting uh, Mitt Romney for Senate back in 2018. He encouraged Joe, encouraged Mitt to run. Um, Mitt, it's, there are many sites that show that Mitt supports 60% or more the Biden agenda through his voting record. Uh, it's just not what Utahns uh, want. That's, that's not at all what uh, Utahns want. As I go around the state and I talk to them, they really want somebody else to be representing them in that seat really because he actually he just cancels out everything that mike lee is doing you know because yeah. he very rarely are they um on the same page because mike lee is a constitutionalist such as you and so it would be great if utah could have two um individuals that rep that truly represent not only utah's values but will protect and defend the constitution 
which is what secures our peace and prosperity and protection is making sure that our unalienable rights are protected. Yes, and Mitt, oh my goodness, we could go on a long time with him, but I am hoping that voters will see that he, this has been more of a self-serving job for him. He's not a public servant because I have called his office, I don't know how many times, never gotten a live person. I always leave a message about what I'm calling about and I always ask for a written response. Whether it's email or a letter sent to me, I've never had anything, never any reply. And so he's kind of in this ivory tower. He won't affiliate with the Republican Party here in Utah, doesn't go to any of the um, fundraising events or the conventions. He has totally isolated himself from um, the party itself. I mean, I don't even know why he wants to be a Republican, to be honest. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's a little unusual that he yeah he won't even attend the uh, the conventions. Um, and so, uh, in fact, I, I chaired the Salt Lake. I was asked to chair the, the Salt Lake County Convention. I, I too been a state delegate, you know, this last cycle, and uh, he, I don't see him in attendance there. And even chairing the county convention, I reached out and asked for our federal delegation if they would like to have you know three or four minutes, either in a video um, or, or uh, if they were able to attend in person and, um, you know, his team said that he would quote yield his time and wouldn't, uh, wouldn't even attend. So it's important. Uh, you have to, I am, I am seeking the, uh, the, to represent Utahns as one of their two U S senators. And I'm going to do that through our caucus and convention system only. I have committed to that. Um, I will always be there, even with people that don't agree with me. I want to hear them. I want to hear their viewpoints. I do that as mayor. And I get back to people within 24, 48 hours consistently. I I, I just, as a matter of habit and respect, I, I want to do that. I'm representing you. Well, and I love the fact that you state and really enforce the fact that you're from Utah. You're not a mm-hmm. Massachusetts millionaire. And right. he has the... Um, he has the ability because of his previous um, uh, assignment in Utah during the Olympics, people really got enamored with that. And they, they, I think now I'm hoping that people have woken up and that they are really seeing Mitt for who he is. Because I know the people in Massachusetts that were conservatives were not very happy with his record as governor when he was Massachusetts governor. But I'm talking with Trent Staggs today. He is running for the U.S. Senate seat that will become vacant in 2024. We've got more questions that we're going to talk to him about. We're also going to um, find out what his plans are to make America great again. Um, And we're going to return here after a short break here on the Liberty Moms podcast.
Liberty Moms podcast, Chris Kimball hosting today. And I've got the uh, privilege of talking with Trent Staggs, who is the mayor of Riverton. And he is also a candidate for the U.S. Senate here in Utah, a seat that will become vacant in 2024 and that is now occupied by by uh, our junior senator, Mitt Romney. I love calling him our junior senator, I have to say. I'm, it's so fun. <laughs> but anyway, he's our junior senator. And uh, Trent Staggs has uh, got a lot of experience. We talked about that in the first half. But in the second half, I kind of want to get into how he would look at some of the issues that we're facing in our country. Because honestly, we are, we, we talked about at the very end of the first um, segment, we talked, I talked about making America great again. I think it's about saving America. We've gotten to a point if with this current administration, who could have thought that in three years they could destroy and make our country look like it does today. But what are what are your ideas for uh, the border, for example, and the problem we have there? Yeah, I, I, first off, you're right. I mean, who would have thought that we could see such a decline in just three years? Um, that's a big reason why I'm running, too. You know, I have a 13-year-old son and 11-year-old daughter. And uh, those, those two kids of mine, my family, that is the greatest motivation for me running for this office because I – I want them to have the same opportunities that I have had. Um, I'm somebody that didn't come from wealth. Like you said, I'm not a Massachusetts millionaire. Uh, Massachusetts doesn't need a third senator. <laughs> Let's get somebody from here. But with with humble roots and beginnings, I'm one of 10 children. I have seven sisters and two brothers. And my dad started out as a school teacher. Uh, I learned how to, to pinch pennies and uh, really, I've taken that same approach to government and budgeting and really being conscientious uh, that way. But uh, yeah, the border is a huge issue. We need to enforce, just enforce the laws that we have. It's become just absolutely chaotic. We need a border wall. We, I, I'm a firm believer in it. We, they, they work <laughs> and why we can't have it budgeted. I mean, why are we spending a hundred plus billion dollars in Ukraine to secure their borders and we can't even secure our own? It's, it's absurd. Um, that we haven't done this already. We can have a nice door, as President Trump used to say. We have a process by which people come in. You know, my ancestors are from Italy and Western Europe, and uh, but people come in and you have to have a process. It has to be organized and people can be assimilated into the country because irrespective of different ethnicities and religions, we should all have one culture. That's the American culture. Uh, that is the great idea that we all rally around the founding documents, our birth certificate and the Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. And that is the culture with which we all agree that we are going to promulgate here in this great country. So we have to have a border wall. We have to enforce the laws that we have. Um, I think the the policies such as remain in Mexico were, were key. Uh, you have a lot of people that are coming here and I think being used as political pawns and tools and saying the right things to seek asylum so they can come through. And then they're just led into the country. You know, I was talking to somebody recently. It's like if you went to Disneyland and they were so busy, they just said, hey, just come on in. But would you please come back at 3 p.m. and pay? Nobody's going to do that. And and the courts are so backed up right now. They're giving people uh, requests to come back a year or two years from now 
to a court hearing to um, to go ahead and discuss their their asylum demands. So we need to have that type of policy where they remain in Mexico if they're seeking asylum. There's some maybe buffer zone or area which uh, people can can remain and have their cases uh, processed in 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 a reasonable you know time period and fashion. And I think if we just did that, you're going to see that uh, people that are not genuine, that are just here for the wrong reasons or are part of uh, maybe nefarious organizations, that would go away. And that's that's something that we need. And we we have to have strong ties with with our countries that neighbor us and uh, to be able to institute these types of policies. And uh, that I think would take a lot of burden off of the borders that we have now. Okay, so Trent, you would be responsible for trying to rein in our out-of-control spending, okay? That's right. So I want you to share with the, our listeners what you did as mayor in regards to creating some uh, tax, uh, not, I don't want to say tax, but you saved your city money by getting rid of Unified Police and a couple of other agencies that you could do locally yourself. So explain mm-hmm. that, because I think that's a good example of what needs to be looked at at a bigger level, at our federal level. And so talk about that for just a minute. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. I think this is exactly what needs to happen. The federal government's taken on far too much. We have hundreds of agencies. Nobody even can count how many federal agencies there are now. And they're promulgating all these rules, um, costing taxpayers you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. And it's ridiculous. I've I've seen it firsthand. You you mentioned one example. Uh, I served initially on the Unified Police Department board when I first was elected in 2013. Um, got on that board in 2014, and I noticed it didn't work well for our community. And uh, uh, by being able, I, I had to work with our state legislature to change the law, allowing us to exit a countywide district, creating one just within our city boundary, our municipal border. But in so doing that new tax district and then self-providing law enforcement has saved tens of millions of dollars to what we would otherwise pay in property tax to the county district to provide law enforcement. We went from 25 police officers that we were given through the unified system for six-ish million dollars. We went to uh, 36 police officers. So we got more officers, the same amount of money, less property tax. It, It kind of boggles the mind, especially someone like me who's got a business background I think, well, wait a minute, if we, if you see mergers or acquisitions of companies and usually that is accretive, it ends up creating, uh, you, you can reduce costs, right? In the business world, you can reduce costs. I've never seen that to happen in uh, higher layers of government. And I think it's because the old adage holds true that Ronald Reagan said that no governmental agency ever voluntarily reduces its size, itself in size. It just doesn't happen. So local control is the best kind of control, self-determination. That's where services we've we've shown over and over again in Riverton that when we've gone away from a larger organization that's provided a service at the county level or higher, that we've done it less expensively and we've provided a higher level of service with police, with the fire district, with the animal control services, we can go on and on. And that's how we've saved tens of millions of dollars for our residents. Um, I, I, that's 
that's the what you get when you have somebody who is entrepreneurial and business minded and is going to look at government in a different way. We can't just think we're in lockstep. We're going to always have these inflationary increases and we always have to do things the same way. No, no, we can innovate. And to a large extent, if if services need to be um, offered through government, let's see if they can be offered at the lowest common denominator because they're going to do it far better. They're going to provide much better service and they're going to do it far less expensively has been my experience over and over again. And that's what we need to take to the federal government. We're $32 trillion in debt. It's, it just boggles the mind. Uh, and when you, when you contemplate off balance sheet liabilities like uh, Medicare and, and, and social security, we're really a hundred trillion dollars in debt. It's, it's just unimaginable. And it's because people just keep spending and spending and spending. Uh, we haven't had a balanced budget since 2001. We have spent trillions more the last few years uh, than we've had come in, yet we've never had more revenue coming into the treasury than we've had now. It's it's out of control. We don't have a revenue problem. It's a spending problem, and we could absolutely get it under control with a balanced budget amendment. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. I have to balance my budget as a mayor. I've done it every year the last 10 years. I do it with my household. We need to do it at the federal level too. So I have um, a question that's related to um, the, the balanced budget and it it's actually connected to the debt ceiling bill that was just passed and Mitt Romney voted for that, increasing the debt ceiling. So where yes. would you have been with that particular vote? I would have been with Mike Lee. Um, I think, you know, when I look at senators that I want to try to emulate or kind of caucus with and and see if we can together start really moving the needle, because people ask me, what can you do just independently? It's it's tough for sure. But I think the more we have bold conservatives standing up and trying to pioneer and point the way, uh, we're going to be successful. So people like Mike Lee, um, I, I like Senator Ron Johnson. I like uh, I, I like Rick Scott. I like uh, Ed Cruz and Rand Paul. Um, but Mike Lee, I think, was was on here. We needed to have much more with respect to spending cuts and budget reform. Uh, I, I said after that vote was taken, and Mitt Romney, as you said, voted for it. I had tweeted that there's four trillion reasons why you should vote for me and not Mitt Romney. I mean, just to give another blank check to grow our deficit four trillion more dollars in just the next couple of years, that's that's basically what the vote was. Yes, it's, it's actually um, terrifying how they are. Again, that's another in three years. Who would have thought that the debt could 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 be that high in just that three year window. Um, so with you mentioned a letter that Mike Lee had penned and our listeners may not have all heard about it, but what did that that was preceding the the vote, right? right. Yes, I think it was around May 6th, um, that first week of May or so when Mike Lee took the initiative. He was the leader on this and he put together a letter to President Biden and said, look, we are not going to raise the debt ceiling unless we get substantial spending cuts and budget reforms. And he needed at least a 40 to have on there so that that would be, you know, that's the filibuster. 
They couldn't just ramrod through anything they wanted. And that really having 42 of his colleagues, uh, Senator Lee and 42 of his colleagues, those 43 Republicans that stood up, put their names to that letter. That's what really forced at least the uh, the discussions that then Biden was had with Speaker McCarthy and uh, some Senate Republicans because he knew he couldn't just run everything through. So I appreciate the uh, uh, the leadership of Senator Lee on this issue and at least trying to make some uh, some reforms happen. Yeah, but again, it was sad to see that our um, Senator Romney, who said he was going to fight to balance that budget, was not his signature was not on that letter. It, it was really disappointing. I asked him. I was in D.C. Uh, in May. And um, we asked point blank, just why, uh, why would Mitt Romney not sign this letter? And there was, there was no answer. It was his, it was his team that was there. And they basically said, well, we are on the same, we have the same goals. We just have different ways of going about doing it. it, it but no, come on. If this is a promise that you're going to fight, you're going to fight for, that was the title of his video fight for Utah every day and you're going to fight to put us on a pathway to a balanced budget, yet you can't even put your signature on that type of letter when 42 other Republicans did, to include Mitch McConnell, That's that just shows a lack of, uh, of, of backbone and, uh, you know, fortuitousness uh, to, to fight on our behalf. Okay, Trent, the other question I have, we have a perceived weakness with our country around the world and our military has really really suffered because the woke ideology was implemented and ingrained into the military probably back when the obama administration was in control and um what how would you take care of that because it's very demoralizing to the men and women who want to serve and love this country and love our constitution and and uh, love God. And yet yes. they're being forced to uh, adopt this ideology. Yeah, uh, it's not just demoralizing to those serving, but it's had a, a huge impact on recruitment. I mean, take a look at the numbers, right, of military, look at the height, Ronald Reagan days and you know Top Gun and and these types of movies, it just bolstered recruitment. I think people wanted to be a part of the military, but you're right. Uh, with this administration, our our military sadly has been degraded, and we need to change that. This I would get rid of this uh, this woke ideology altogether. It has no place at my website again, trentstags.com. You'll see defense as one of the the nine top policy briefs that I put together. And I say that uh, as, as Senator, I will be woke's worst nightmare. Uh, we, we just can't have it. Can't have it at all uh, in, in government. We need to get rid of it and get back to, uh, yeah, the, the, the defense that, that we know we have, we've had in the past and we can have again. I am optimistic. We can, we can make this change. Do you think we can, if you're back in D.C., is there any way we can get rid of that Department of Education? That has okay. been such a nemesis because 
it's that department. And with the passing of um, the ESSA bill back in 2015, when Obama was president, it's allowed the Obama or the Biden administration to put in these rules that um, for a, a school to get money, they have to have boys locker and shower with girls. And it's been Absolutely. horrific since that's taken place. I, I, yes, the short answer is yes. On my website, again, education is one of those things for safer families. One of the three uh, issues underneath that, that high level theme of education. And I say that, yeah, there's, I would absolutely want to get rid of the department of, of education. They have in this, they have available spending of 174 billion, I believe this year. Why there, there's no constitutional directive duty for federal government to be involved in education. It's a state's issue. It's a family issue. I say education is not just, you know, parental uh, choice and control of their child's education. And it's their child. It's not state. Uh, we're, it's, it is, it is, you know, my children, their children. Uh, that's the responsibility of parents. And parental control is not just priority A for me. It's priority A through Z. So, yes, get rid of the, the Federal Department of Education and all of the strings that are attached with that. Uh, I think in speaking with some of our great school board members here, state school board, they, uh, I think they told me that about 7% or so of Utah's federal uh, or Utah's education budget rather is tied to federal funding. Yet the federal government controls so much as you just indicated. Uh, so let's, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of it altogether. Okay. So how do you feel about, you win the Senate seat, and now you have to go to D.C. Would yeah. you? <laughs> I mean, that's the downside, right? <laughs> it is. But would you leave your family here and commute, or would you take your family back there? How, what, how would you handle that? We've talked about that, my wife and I, um, and I, 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 would, I would commute. Uh, our, we don't want to up, uproot our, our children from the schools that they're currently at, and it's it's a Monday through Thursday, you know, largely commute. And I've talked to Senator Lee and others that uh, that make that commute and that sacrifice. It, it is difficult. I'll not, you know, I'm not naive enough to think that it's not. And in hearing them, they say it's a challenge too, but it's something that uh, is worth the sacrifice. We need people that are going to be solid conservatives and fighters in DC. We need that and that's a sacrifice that we're going in, eyes wide open, knowing. But for the time being right now, we've, we've talked about it. I would be commuting uh, at, this, at this stage of the game. Okay. Now, I want our listeners to realize, he, Trent's just talking about what this means to his family. Like he's willing to separate himself from his family in order to go back to DC and do the right things to, to basically save our country at this point. I would say it is a place of saving our country and hanging on to our ideals that we know can lead us to peace, prosperity, and protection if we just follow the, um, the Constitution and with the border following the laws that are in place for immigration. But this is going to take money to run this race, okay? And I know that um, 
you feel confident with uh, the numbers that you've been polling, but it takes money to win, especially when you're running against a Massachusetts millionaire, okay? And so we need to um, step up to the plate. And if any of you have been uh, disillusioned or unhappy or actually mad, you might have been mad at Mitt Romney for some of the things that he was doing. Here's your chance to get even by donating to Trent's campaign. And so um, I know there's a donation uh, site on your website, trentstags.com. But talk about how important it is that it's not just you alone. It takes a lot of people to make a campaign successful. That's that's right, Chris. No, I appreciate that. It is, unfortunately, um, it, it is very expensive. You know, Mike Lee and his race last year was about a $10 million race, uh, monies that he had to raise or through, you know, PACs and other donations. And Evan McMullen was in this $8 million range or close to it. Um, so these these Senate seats and contests are expensive. Yes, you can donate at trentstags.com. That's T-R-E-N-T-S-T-A-G-G-S.com. Uh, it's, it's been made even more expensive with uh, since the passage of Senate Bill 54. Unfortunately, that's damaged our caucus convention system. You know, uh, people like Jason Chaffetz and Mike Lee back in 2010, when he got into, uh, when, when he was elected, he won a convention, right? And was able to take out uh, Bob Bennett and the delegates uh, were able to do that and it, there wasn't a lot of money that needed to be expended and, and unfortunately now with the signature gathering method and people being able to buy their name put their name on the ballot that's made it even more expensive so i've committed to just go that route uh, through the delegates but i uh, and, and work with them and seek their their support uh, but i know that a mitt romney who can't, he won't even show up to the state convention. He is not going to go that route. He's going to spend the $600,000, $700,000 to go out and get signatures, force his name on a ballot, and then try to spend millions of dollars uh, to win the primary, the Republican primary. And we've got to counter that. His polling, I think, is weak. We, we saw just the other week, a poll came out. He's dropped 11 points since we've entered the race. Amongst all Utahns, he's only in the 40s. That includes Dems, Democrats, where he's got 75-plus percent approval rating. So uh, we've got a great opportunity. People know that there's a conservative in the race. That's why we're getting endorsed by mayors, by county commissioners, by the Fraternal Order of Police that represents 70% of all law enforcement in the state. Um, other big conservative groups that are stepping up and endorsing us. And it's I'm just really, I'm really humbled by all the support. And if your listeners can contribute, uh, they they can go to the website, make that financial contribution. We've had hundreds as well uh, also reach out and want to volunteer in town halls and signs. And uh, it's, it's just amazing the amount of support that we've received. We have had uh, donations come across 40 plus states because we've taken the race nationally uh, we've talked about this, Chris, where the local media doesn't give you a lot of love with establishment players. And so we've we've gotten great uh, national exposure and we need to keep we need to keep doing that. And this is a great forum, too, uh, where people can learn about my candidacy uh, that they may not otherwise through just local media. 
Well, Trent, I really appreciate you jumping into the race. I know it's a huge sacrifice and I want our listeners to, to step up and do their part, whether if it is a donation, great. If not, sign up to be a volunteer, to get a, a sign for your yard, to let your friends and neighbors know about Trent Staggs. And even if they can, if you can just pass that little video around, his campaign video is an excellent piece. And uh, I wish you luck on this race, Trent. Thank you for joining me today here on the Liberty Moms podcast. And I can't wait to see you as our U.S. Senator in 2024. Thank you so much. We'll definitely get there, especially with your support. So thank you. All right. Thanks for listening today. This is Chris Kimball with the Liberty Moms podcast.